We can't support those who say that their lives have become undignified by the logic taught to them by a culture that makes autonomy the basis for dignity. If we do, we erode the very basis on which we care for one another, dignity itself. Dying but not alone is a paper by Joshua Brisco um that we're going to talk about today along with an article that they mention in this small paper of theirs. Um the paper itself is one of the most interesting ones that I have read in a very very long time and I think it also struck a personal chord because it made me think about the things that I have said or the things that I've believed in relation to the health and the well-being of my own grandmother and uh, a few other relatives who have been a part of my life and that i don't think has ever happened to me in that i've um really begun to question what i think about life and ending life prematurely before before i hand the baton is it is it a baton the, the yeah. thing that <laughs> yeah it's a baton yeah <laughs> yeah uh before before i hand that over to you uh i just want to say that this episode is probably going to have a lot of mentions of um medical assisted uh death uh suicide maybe even depression uh and those are going to be a lot of the themes that we're going to talk about in this episode so um this is uh, a trigger warning for all of that uh because these are going to be heavy themes yeah, yeah. thanks Over for that issues. especially yeah. yeah i think it's important that we give out a content warning um especially considering that this is a very sensitive subject not just you know for people to deal with but also it's a, it's quite a sensitive subject in in the fields of medicine and um you know ethics what have you and as much as i as much as i guess it's unfortunate to say i'm i've been in similar situations as you have you know dealing with grandparents who are not in the best health and having to well i i can't say that i've personally personally thought about medically assisted suicide in their case but i've i've been in situations where people have been suffering and death seemed like the only way out and reading this article and certainly you're right it it is one of the most interesting articles i've read in a long time uh but then again i haven't read many articles in a very long time um but jokes aside though a little bit of context about who the author is and why they're writing this paper uh, brisco joshua brisco that is is um he's not really what you would call a philosopher by profession we have we've been dealing mostly with philosophical papers per se right we've been talking about papers written by people who are professional philosophers but joshua brisco is a doc- is a doctor they are a doctor uh they're an assistant professor of medicine and an assistant professor of psychiatry and behavioral sciences at the duke university school of medicine in north carolina and um i find this work and also a lot of their other works interesting because they deal not only with the medical side of um uh i guess uh medically assisted suicide and what not they also deal with the more emotive uh, psychological i guess affective 
uh, side of things. And there's this other paper that I found really interesting, which I would like to read in the future, called um, Spirituality, Religion and Rational Suicide. Could be interesting to look at that. And coming more specifically to the, the current paper that we're talking about, uh, you mentioned that we're going to be talking about this one and another article, right? And the other article that we're talking about is one published in the New York Times, and this one refers to that uh, almost as if it's responding to it. It's called When Patients Choose to End Their Lives by Jane E. Brody. And both of these articles deal with uh, themes that they once just mentioned now, which are medically assisted, medically assisted suicide, the virtues of it, and whether or not it's whether or not it's a good thing, essentially. So before we get into what the paper has to say, I mean, what are your initial thoughts on it? You you said you had, you know, you've had personal experiences with these things. And what do you think of it when you, what do you think of medically assisted, medic, shit, I can't say it. What do you think of? This is like, this is like you, uh, like you, you with medically assisted suicide is me with the word anthropology. Oh yeah, anthropology. Any anthro things, anthropology. And there's the other thing, right? Anthropocentric. Oh yeah, that <laughs> the amount you struggle oh, with that one. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna loom over you like a shadow forever. Uh, so yeah, my question was, before, before we tackle, I guess Briscoe's opinions or. The other, the other author, I forget the name, Jane, 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 Jane. oh, Jane, Janie Brody, yeah, before we Janie tackle Brody. their opinions, yeah, uh, wh- what do you think of it, personally? Yeah, this is, uh, this is gonna be, uh, story time, uh, but, a, but a very grim one. It's okay, I like um, stories. So, my grandmother... Yeah. You're the, you're the third <laughs> grim brother. The grim brothers, maybe? Yeah, yeah okay. Hey. <laughs> Jinx. So, wow. Yeah, I look. I promise we didn't script this. This is yeah. We're just on the <laughs> this same is frequency. just vibing, dude. <laughs> yeah. Um, so my grandmother, unfortunately, f- um, a little while ago, I think this was uh, <clears throat> sometime last year, uh, fell quite ill, um, and it was a series of uh, medical problems that eventually resulted in her uh, ending up in the hospital. Um, and she was going through a lot, lot of pain. We had, uh, we, like the doctors had to, uh, pass tubes through her, um, throat to allow the movement of food and water. And she couldn't pass her bowels and, and her bowel movements weren't controlled by her. Um, and a, a lot of other medical problems led to her, I, I don't know I don't know what other word to use but to suffer she was visibly in a lot of pain the the food tube that was in her throat constantly irritated her and almost hurt her and she physically tried to remove it multiple times uh, even though she wasn't in her full conscious state all the time she she failed to recognize uh, my my Marcy and a few other relatives who could be with her um, she would say things that uh, didn't seem coherent Uh, and there was a point where she asked um, her she I mean I say her but whoever was around her at the time uh, to let to be let go 
um for the for, for her suffering to end and for her to not i don't know be made to go through that process yeah, of yeah, not be made yeah yeah just yeah just surviving and uh, there were real conversations that we had at that time where my other masi who lives abroad who wasn't here at the time you know was in favor of doing it and uh, admittedly i was too um i had a real conversation with my mother when we sat down and i asked her do you really think that we should we're in a position to let my nani suffer the way she's suffering right now um and if she says that she doesn't want to live and if she says she doesn't want that food tube to be in her um do we really have a right to just keep it going keep the suffering going in hopes of having her recover and uh, of course having that conversation with a parent who who might potentially lose their parent isn't easy i can't imagine you know having the, such a conversation with my children in the future about doing this to my own mom um but as it turns out my grandmom is now fine she's uh, running around doing all the cool things that she did before and she's so much healthier so we fortunately total didn't badass. have to do that yeah she's she's a total badass she and you know the the funniest thing is i'm going to talk talk about her so much because this paper also deals with the idea of autonomy so much it reminded me of her not just in her illness but also in her desire for autonomy but we'll get to that um and like reading this paper uh, about medically assisted death and my willingness to to go ahead with it and to advocate for it um in retrospect you know now that my grandmom's all right seemed so i don't know it seemed like such a failure to see uh a possible future on on my end and what it would mean to advocate for something like that so it's yeah that's that's basically what i thought i actually thought that it was fine that it's something that i shouldn't have to watch my grandmom go through that i shouldn't have to see her suffering and that the only right thing to do the only moral thing to do here would be to to help her get you know medically assisted um medical assistance in in um you know uh, in you know self destruction what do you what did you think before reading this paper and like you said you had you've had similar experiences to me and what did you think about uh what have you thought about medically assisted suicide uh, all your life I I think I was much like you I always thought that it's a question of autonomy and a question of choice because it seemed it seemed quite selfish to me to force a suffering patient to continue living just so that their uh family and and all of their loved ones can can hope to see them again alive and well and healthy and what not uh, it, it just seems selfish and i was um i don't know i was almost I just, I don't know if I can say blinded because I still kind of believe it. I was almost convinced wholeheartedly that 
medically assisted suicide should be the thing and not just medically assisted suicide right and by suicide we obviously mean something that's motivated by the self but i was also in favor of uh medically assisted uh euthanizing like euthanasia i i didn't really see a problem with that either uh but obviously i i have much more nuance when it comes to that topic now uh in questions of morality and and agency and what not but the, i mean coming back to coming back to suicide i thought it was fine no question about it but now uh not just after reading this paper but slightly before that as well um i feel like i might have begun questioning it especially after i re- started reading more uh philosophy and particularly after reading this paper i feel like i've begun questioning it much more deeply um i think it would be a good time now to actually tell you what the paper is all about uh i think that it would make more sense if we do that uh for you to um i think it would make more sense um wait scratch that i think our conversation would make more sense yeah that makes sense i think our conversation would make more sense if we told you what the paper was actually advocating for so i don't know do you want to start us off yeah i'd love to um so i mean the article itself asks uh, or um begins with uh the new york times article that is begins with a look into why people um of of that age of an older age of people who are suffering um desire medically assisted suicide um and uh, i'm going i'm going to read out this little um bit from the paragraph that even um dr uh, brisco quotes in their paper which is it's less a question of uncontrollable physical pain which prompts only a minority of requests for medical aid in dying than it is a loss of autonomy a loss of dignity a loss of quality of life and an inability to engage in what makes people's lives meaningful and i think this pretty much sums up the idea or the main themes of uh, the paper by dr brisco uh, which is the idea of the role of autonomy in our desire for self destruction so at a certain time in our life um if we're um in a in a state where we're going through pain suffering old age um you know the whole 10 yards is that the is that the phrase the whole the whole 10 yards no i have no idea what you're talking about uh i guess okay. yeah but are you talking about like the size of some kind of pitch so that people I think it's maybe it's the whole 30 yards. The whole uh, wait, the whole 10 yards is a 2000 American 2004 American crime comedy film. I don't okay. know. Wow. <laughs> okay, then let's go with the whole wow. 10 yards. Basically, <laughs> uh, yeah, the whole 10 yards yeah. by which you mean going going the whole distance. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the the whole the whole stick like you get you get the entire combination of uh, Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was that was probably a bad bad phrase to to go with clearly my phrases are not um i haven't used them in a while but anyway so my point is yeah the whole deal of being old and in pain in pain and maybe in suffering as well um and the questions of what it means for 
anyone to make that decision. And if people at that age desire medically assisted suicide, um, why do they feel that they have lost their autonomy and that it is a life without dignity and that their life before had dignity and now it doesn't because they have lost their um, autonomy and that they've lost their dignity. So why is that um, enough for people to to support medically assisted death? And what is the problem with that? And I think that um, is what Dr. Briscoe tries to, uh, you know, make us think about in this in this paper, and, and there are uh, obviously a lot more. Um, there's a lot more that um, they say, but these two themes, I think, shine out in making us think about what it means um, to ask for self-assisted suicide. Yeah, why does a loss of autonomy mean a loss of dignity, essentially? That's the question that the paper is trying to ask, and that's the that's the belief that it's trying to question, because, like you pointed out, very well, that that's how uh, that's how we function, and that's why that's where the the argument for medically assisted suicide comes about. Uh, in fact, the 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 little extract that you read out, I had that highlighted as well, and I, I I guess Briscoe points it out too. You know, it's. Just to clarify, it's part of the original New York Times article that Briscoe is responding to. And in in the article, uh, the author explains why people sometimes choose medically assisted suicide. And the fact that they say that it's less a question of uncontrollable physical pain, um, but rather a loss of dignity, a loss of quality of life and so on makes sense at some level, right? Obviously, there are so many reasons for why a person might choose to kill themselves. And I'm sure it's no less complicated when they need to ask someone for help. I mean, imagine, I always imagine suicide to be an extremely difficult thing to do. It takes a lot of courage to be able to end one's own life, obviously. But what's more, I think it's often a way to show that one is in control, at least of their death. Because suicide might often be a response to extremely distressing but also extremely uncontrollable life situations, right? And suicide could be seen as a way for that person to act in defiance of those uncontrollable situations by exerting control over their own death, at the very least, right? So now, in the case of uh, medically-assisted or physician-assisted suicide, as the article says, Imagine the emotional turmoil there, not even having control over your own death and having to depend on somebody else to kill you for yourself. And maybe I'm getting this all wrong and maybe I'm being very politically incorrect here, but it just seems like a dramatically more difficult situation uh, and, and a dramatically more difficult decision to make. right? And although, and although the, the article later points out that assisted, you know, quote-unquote assisted suicide is barely ever directly assisted. My point still stands. The degree of assistance is not as important here, right? And I, I'm just imagining this, um, at this point, I'm just imagining that meme with the, 
with that guy in the red red outfit sweating and trying to choose which button to press between uh two bad options it's almost as convoluted as that it is and i and i think that just the phrase that um the proponents of um and and advocates for advocates of um self assisted suicide use is um dying with dignity medically um, assisted death suicide. with dignity wait what did i say <laughs> self assisted suicide oh so that's like oh, what am i yeah. saying <laughs> yeah it's just like it, it's circular it's like self assisted yeah um, um <laughs> but yeah i'm so sorry uh, medically assisted suicide uh the advocates of that um you prefer to use the phrase death with dignity and that phrase alone is very telling of um what lies uh, or the understanding of dignity that um you know is forms the base of this um uh, entire discussion or at least this entire idea of um medically assisted suicide and you're right it's a difficult decision to make because at like you know at one end you you don't want to deny an old person or in fact forget an old person you don't want to deny anybody else experiencing these feelings you don't want to deny them that experience you don't want to you don't want to discredit um their feelings and you almost don't want to take away uh, take away their autonomy in wanting to make that decision of of theirs right um of of if they do feel like there's um if their life is not worth living or if um their loss of dignity or of autonomy and of you know um doing meaningful things is gone you don't want to uh, you know you you feel like you don't want to take that away from them if to them in their life it's the last hope they have of exercising the autonomy that they have and that's where the idea of you know death with dignity comes from which is um you know having to live um by depending on others and almost and this word is used multiple times to in uh, dr briscoe's paper to reflect just the the idea of dependence which is burden if um such people don't want to be a burden uh, and they feel like they don't want to continue uh living then they should they should have that choice and if being a burden to them is uh not dignifying uh taking their life away to them is an act of their own volition of an act of dignity to them um so so that's the two you know in in the meme format those are the two buttons because you don't want to deny them that but you also want to understand why and and the reasons behind the the idea of autonomy and um the the cultural sort of push uh for this value that we have that we give to to full autonomy that humans exercise i think this one point that i want to discuss which is like in the second paragraph of the paper itself is uh when when dr brisco says that a patient's choice to end her life is not defined by her and if by that we mean that it is and by that we mean that it is a choice that is just about herself let me read that again because it it was a little confusing a patient's choice to end her life is not defined by her if by that we mean that it is a choice that is just about herself rather 
it is a declaration about what kind of life is worth living and this is where i had like my first pull towards that that autonomy Dude, bit, same. right same i just had my first oh shit moment like <laughs> yeah it it was it, it it made me like question um and and to be very honest i didn't be, like i didn't agree with it at first and i don't know if i still agree with it that's the that's the striking part which is i don't know if a declaration about what kind of life is worth living is what the person asking for medically assisted suicide is doing because to me it seemed before and a very very small part of me still believes it when that when that person is making that decision they're doing it on an idea or an understanding of what kind of life is worth living to them to their own idea of what a life worth living is not the idea of what a life worth living is to me or to you so if tomorrow my neighbor uh, or anybody else in around me decides to you know decides they want medically assisted um uh, a suicide i wouldn't take their decision to be reflective of what i think life is worth living i would take that to be their decision that was born out of their own understanding of a life worth living and this i think is also uh this this reminded me a lot of what uh, jean paul sartre says in his uh you know his existential ethics when he says about human choice so i'm going to read out um a bit about what sartre says about human choice and this might be a bit of a big extract so I'm, i apologize for that but it's really interesting and i i struggle with that too but here goes when we say that a person chooses themselves we do mean that every one of us must choose ourselves but by that we also mean that in choosing for ourselves we choose for all people for in effect of all the actions a person may take in order to create themselves as they will to be there is not one which is not creative at the same time of an image of a person such as they believe they ought to be to choose between this or that is at the same time to affirm the value of that which is chosen for we are unable to ever choose the worst what we choose is always the better and nothing can be better for us unless it is better for all or if to take a more personal case this is uh, continuing from a a few lines later or if to take a more personal case i decide to marry and to have children even though this decision proceeds simply from my situation from my passion or my desire i am thereby committing not only myself but humanity as a whole to the practice of monogamy i am thus responsible for myself and for all humans and i am creating a certain image of a human being as i would want them to be right so a little hard to understand and a part of me still thinks that there's a lot of scholarship that i need to do to understand it but um a very brief explanation of what i think sartre is trying to say is that every time you choose to do something you're not choosing just for yourself but you're choosing for all of humanity because your choice even though you're making it in a personal capacity you do it keeping an ideal life 
or an ideal decision in mind because you wouldn't do something that's bad for you you wouldn't do something that's worse for you you would do something that's good for you and if it's good for you as a human being it's good for all of humanity so anytime you're making a decision you're making uh, a decision that you think that everybody ought to follow and that decision is not just your own in that sense even though the irony of it is you're making it yourself because you have an image of what a person ought to do that you're following um and so this idea and this belief of satra is what you know this this bit reminded me of that when you're saying that a person who wishes for medically assisted suicide uh is making uh a judgment or a or a declaration as dr brisco says about what kind of life is worth living right okay i have uh, i have very many things to say about all of that um and i'm going to try and go sequentially i'm going to try and make a more i'm going to try and give a coherent uh chronological response okay uh so first brisco writes in 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 the the paper dying but not alone The New York Times published a news article that was essentially an advertisement for physician assisted suicide. So, uh Brisco calls the article an advertisement for physician assisted suicide and they they reply in turn that physician assisted suicide isn't necessarily moral because it makes a declaration of what kinds of lives are worth living universally and what kinds of lives are not worth living universally. Now let's start there. you did mention that um well when people ask for assisted suicide they aren't making a declaration of what kinds of lives are worth living universally but rather about what kind of life is worth living for them and that's where i'm inclined to disagree with you and agree with brisco because it's kind of a it's a thin line between making a declaration for oneself and making a declaration for all of humanity right and where i think that applies here is how do we differentiate right so when i say that i am making uh, a judgment of what kind of life is worth living for me then is it really is it really possible that it stops at me so we've seen over the course of history that when people judge what kinds of lives are worth living they don't stop at themselves they extend it to other people and that's that's what we've seen in the case of um nazi germany in you know uh take any mass scale killing that has happened um out of hate or out of whatever uh even the caste system in india things like that so that all stems from a judgment of what kind of life is worth living right so when i think of medically assisted suicide i think of something similar to that and i'm not saying i completely agree with brisco on everything but i'm saying that's where uh, brisco is coming from that's where they write this paper from because when we say medically assisted suicide is a judgment about what kind of life is worth living we're not just making a judgment about ourselves 
and following from that um you also mentioned uh that the method of appropriately dying is culturally defined i think you mentioned that sometime in the beginning um now brisco brings up this idea of appropriate death a lot uh when we die with dignity we have our autonomy which is intact we have complete freedom agency and what not and the typical cultural understanding is that a loss of autonomy is a loss of dignity and that's what brisco is trying to refute but the thing is here's what brisco's argument is saying all lives have dignity and to hold that all lives have dignity is moral saying that some lives don't have dignity is contradictory to that and therefore saying that some lives don't have dignity is immoral right it's a fairly convincing argument at least superficially um i do have some uh some qualms with it fancy word <laughs> uh but i i i want to hold that thought there for now right so when we think of appropriate dying as being culturally defined there's no doubt about that and most if not all cultures seem to value a dignified death right quote unquote dignified and it seems as though all cultures view painful or messy or suffering death as undignified so qed painful or messy death is not appropriate or it's not dignified right and that's where i think brisco is coming from it, it it's it's more of a it's more an observation of what is the case than what they think ought to be the case right so so thinking about um about historical um examples of when people claimed or made claims about lives worth living um i agree right i i agree that whenever discussions about lives worth living uh whenever those conversations are initiated they aren't they aren't deeply personal they aren't um claims about what a life worth living is to the to, to the person making those claims but it's it's a general claim about humanity i agree with you yeah and they tend to turn ugly quickly is what i'm saying yeah <laughs> yeah you're right <laughs> very ugly uh because there's there's this potential of um forming this idea of a life worth living that is so personal and so specific to the place and the history and the culture that you come from that you forget to acknowledge the lives of those around you but um what i what i think i struggled with is thinking about the kind of life i find worth living right um and to so suppose suppose i encounter somebody um let's just assume that this person is extremely rich afflu- uh, affluent um and doesn't want to live a life where they don't have money suppose and that person says that a life where i don't have money um and i don't have financial power is not a life worth living i don't think that i would want to live a life like that um and suppose that they decide and they do enter abject poverty uh 
and decide that they don't want to continue living, which, again, hypothetical scenario. I wouldn't take their claims about a life worth living to be reflective of what I find life worth living to be. And of course, this is a very, very, you know, uh, north-south, very stark difference in an understanding of a life worth living when there's obviously a lot more nuance than that. But that's the thought I had, which is, I wouldn't see myself taking that to be a declaration of the kind of life that every human being ought to live, right? I would still disagree. I would say maybe that was the life you lived and that's the decision you made, but I don't see that, I don't see my life amounting to that. That's what I, I that's what I thought I would say. Um, and <laughs> strangely enough, I come back to, to, to disagreeing with me when you know, the, the conversation about culture, what, like sorry, you, you said, I come back to disagreeing with me. Yeah. 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 So th- yeah, that's what I said. So, Oh, Oh, I you meant to... actually disagreeing with you. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Start, interesting. Yeah. I start disagreeing with myself when we, when we talk about culture, like you mentioned in uh, when, when you were like speaking as well about a cultural sort of shaping of what, um, is valuable, especially in the question of autonomy. So, uh, uh, Dr. Briscoe, uh, also writes that, um, and I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna read out this little bit, which is that the argument that a patient who feels she has lost autonomy should have a medical option to end her life does not just leave the matters up to the individual, but solidifies this cultural myth telling everyone that the life lacking full autonomy is not worth living. And I fully agree with Shit. that. <laughs> right? Because I feel like it's, I, I feel like a life with, without full autonomy is still life worth living. And I do agree. That really? Do you really believe that? Yeah, because I, I do, I do agree. And I feel like this particular point is the only point that I kind of, um, struggled with or didn't, you know, completely agree with, uh, in this paper, because everything about how Dr. Briscoe describes humans and human experiences, um, and life being a life of dependence. And I mean, that's something I fully believe in. I don't think. Yeah. yeah, Okay. Yeah. Okay. Maybe I should clarify. So I also believe I'm not talking about full autonomy. Um, but yeah, full yeah, autonomy yeah. is an mm. illusion. I don't think full autonomy exists at all. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think we're just differing in the degrees of autonomy. Like, how yeah, autonomous yeah. do you have to be for the life to be worth living <laughs> is the difficult question. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and when we say, and when we say that, um, you know, culturally and by supporting these things, we solidify, um, these myths about, you know, full autonomy and about life without autonomy being worthless, all of that, I, I can't disagree with because we do that because we don't, we, we feed off of each other. We're not independent in our thought. We're not independent in how we perceive the world. My, before, before we got into the paper itself, we spoke about how, what we thought about self, not self, sorry, I don't know why I keep saying self assisted, uh, medically assisted suicide. And 
what I believed before wasn't a product of my own autonomous thinking, right? I, it, it obviously, it was cultural. It was a lot of, uh, it it was influenced by things that I've absorbed, I've, I've absorbed over the years. So I don't, and and so just thinking about that makes me disagree that, you know, advocating for or desiring medically assisted suicide is making a claim about lives worth living for all humanity, all of humanity, um, a, a life worth living for all of humanity. So I, I have this full internal struggle, you know, inside. And that's also because, or actually let that be, I'll bring up. I like the use of the word later. full. Yeah, because it says that in the in the article too, and I found that to be such a such an interesting thing to to mention, um, and such an important thing to consider as well. To think that we could have something or <laughs> such a fictional thing, such as full autonomy, can ever be real, was so is just so interesting. Yeah, yeah, but I uh, I heard the. I mean, the full registered in my mind as like, as like a Bangalore slang, like bro, full internal turmoil I had, bro, like, like full, I was losing it. <laughs> That's how I registered. I don't, I, I don't, I don't blame you. I, I, I'm surprised oh, no, I didn't like read it that way. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. About what you said. That's exactly where my, uh, my idea of assisted assisted suicide diverges from briscoe's as well despite the fact that i agreed with a lot of what briscoe said earlier i didn't agree with all of it and some of my concerns are very similar to yours and i'm just gonna put them out there right now so first off um like you and if i'm understanding you correctly that is like you I can't help but feel like Drisco's a little alone in his in shit. I keep saying he. I'm so conditioned to seeing names and using pronouns, and ironically, I'm you know, never mind. Yeah, we all are. Yeah, yeah, and ironically, ironically, I'm going through a weird phase, and I'm still doing this. It's so capitalist, disgusting. Anyway, uh, yeah, what I was saying was like you, I can't help but feel like Drisco is a little alone in the sentiments. That they present because they go against a lot of our personal and cultural intuition. Cultural intuition is not easily disregarded. People wouldn't very easily throw away their um, culture for the sake of, I guess, pure rationality or whatever you want to call it. And I just wonder if we're so culturally and personally inclined to do, to do certain things. Those things must have some value, right? And I, I can't help but wonder if a lot of our cultural beliefs or a lot of our personal beliefs stem from some kind of natural instinct. Now, again, I want to draw a line here. I don't mean that all cultural beliefs have that because some cultural beliefs can be extremely destructive, extremely genocidal, extremely hateful, all of that. So I'm not advocating for any of that, but I mean uh, some beliefs about uh, the value of human life, um uh you know especially in terms of what this article is talking about things like that so that's one thing and second 
a lot of Dr. Briscoe's arguments have to do with dignity. So Briscoe says that we consider lives without autonomy to be undignified. And that's where you also sort of paused your argument. And I, I want to take that a little bit forward by by saying that what if we remove dignity out of the equation at all, right? Because dignity is abstract. We can't see dignity. We don't touch it. We can't feel it. It's completely abstract. It's like honor. But guess what's real? Pain. Pain is very, very real. And what about physician-assisted suicide in cases of uncontrollable pain? And even the, the, the New York Times article completely ignores this because, as you read out, it, uh, Jane E. Brody does write that it's less a question of uncontrollable physical pain, um, which prompts a person, blah, blah, blah. But I think we should consider cases of physical pain because, well, how do you how do you get rid of that and that's a lot more real than 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 something as abstract as dignity and maybe people think that they're losing their dignity or they're losing their sanity because of uncontrollable physical pain right and now that we've got physical pain could we perhaps extend that argument to mental pain or emotional pain which is just torture for both the patient and their loved ones yeah i kind of I kind of agree in that I had a similar thought, which is, suppose we make, you know, um, um, we make dependence dignified, um, or we somehow culturally make the change and, um, you know, associate or begin to associate dignity with dependence, uh, which again is a whole you know, a whole another, like, is a whole other um, discussion which deserves attention, um, which I think we should do anyway, which is associate dignity with dependence. Suppose we do that, uh, would that automatically make um, medically assisted suicide um, not okay? Because you still have pain and suffering left, right? And I think that's also what you were you were getting at, which is what they don't consider in that case. Is that Yeah, right? exactly, exactly. So you've got this very material, very real thing, which is pain, um, as opposed to something more abstract, such as dignity, yeah. Right, um, but that's also what I was thinking about, right? Which is a couple of things. In um, Dr. Briscoe's paper, uh, under the section lives not worth living, they say that it cannot be that all choices for physician assisted suicide are nothing more than the outworking of the autonomy of individuals. And so that kind of made me like realize that Dr. Briscoe recognizes that, but you're right in that there isn't any mention of it explicitly, like there's no mention of, um, cases of just pain and suffering alone. Um, and I'll get back to this um, and share a couple of other thoughts I had, but I also want to focus on the article and something interesting I found in the article itself, which is um, um, in the article, the New York Times article, um, another doctor, Dr. Zitter is quoted. And the article says that in her experience, 
A fear of losing control is the main reason patients request medical aid in dying. But when they have access to good palliative care, that fear often dissipates. And so that's where I'm kind of inclined to to disagree with you, right? In that I, I still think that, I, I mean, I'm not really disagreeing as much as what I think is if, you know, just pain, just physical pain and suffering is all that is prompting a person to consider medical, um, you know, suicide or medical aid in dying, then I don't think there's too much. Um, I mean, there isn't much you can say to go against it because there isn't, we're not focusing on dignity or loss of autonomy as much as just human pain and suffering. But if that's just a small, small fraction, and if the majority of people who require or desire medical aid in dying are doing so because they fear that they're losing control, then what Dr. Zitter says is really interesting. And it should really make us reconsider the notion of, you know, and, and, and whether or not medically assisted uh, death is a good idea because as she says, when such patients have access to good palliative care, their fear dissipates. So if we create um, situations, and I think there's somebody else who um, who says this later on in the article, I think, um, you know, uh, Dr. Lin, and I'm going to, I'm going to bring up what Dr. Lin says later on as well. But when we look to expand care, and when we look to give more palliative care um, and coupled with what Dr. Zitter says about, um, you know, that kind of driving patients fear away and and then also do what Dr. Briscoe recommends, which is, um, you know, start associating dignity with dependence and recognizing that dependence is just a part of our life, then we've got something really substantial here. We've got something that, um, needs to be discussed a lot more than I think cases of pure pain and suffering that you mentioned, which I think don't really, that you can't really argue against because there's no stigma attached to it. It's just the ending of pain and suffering. And I think that, like I said, when I started this long monologue, um, although Dr. Briscoe doesn't mention it, just this mention, uh, just the, the line, um, um, with which Dr. Briscoe starts the lives not worth living section in their paper suggests that they do have that in mind. Um, but yeah, that's what, that's what I think. What, what do you think about what Dr. Zitter says? Yeah, I think that's a, that's a fairly convincing argument, uh, at least in contrast to what I just said, because this study, if I can call it a, was it a study? I think it was a study. This study does show that people, when they have access to good palliative care, the fear of um, the fear of losing control often dissipates, right? So I think that's, that's a fair argument to make and I'm quite convinced by it. I mean, I can't go against evidence, but what I found particularly interesting about this was doctors are just trained to keep Doctors are trained to just keep adding technology to patient care regardless of the outcome and withdrawing technology is anathema to what we're taught. So considering that and considering the question of palliative care 
it fits. I mean, doctors will obviously provide palliative care when and if necessary. What I want to focus on, though, is something that you said um, a little later down, which was about dependence and making dependence dignified. And I also think that it takes or it will take a lot more um, or it will take a greater degree of cultural reform to make that a, an acceptable thing. But I think we're, we're on the right path by having conversations about this and you know encouraging conversations about it in, in different spaces. And I also like what Briscoe wrote about that, about this um, fact of dependence being dignified. So they write, when we deny others the opportunity to help bear our burdens, we deny them a means of loving us in our dependence in a most profound manifestation of our humanity. And that was just so beautifully written. And I imagine this paper is what whiplash must feel like. Because just when I think I'm not convinced enough, uh, Briscoe pulls like a fast one and writes something so moving and I again begin to think about it to no end. Like that's something that really stuck with me. The fact of the matter is that losing control uh, is viewed as undignified. But then by going deeper into that sentiment, and I guess this paper has helped me do that, it's easy when thinking of assisted suicide to question deeper and deeper things, such as whether or not all deaths will necessarily be undignified. Because if we're talking about death being undignified because of losing control, then isn't death itself a loss of control in some in some senses? And and wouldn't that mean that all deaths will necessarily be undignified in some way, right? So because of that, I'm inclined to agree with both Briscoe and you and say that it's important that we recognize death not as undignified, but rather as something to uh, something to embrace each other about and something to be more dependent on each other about. What you said, I think, like so well, is also what caught my eye in um, Dr. Bisco's paper, which is when talking about death death with dignity so what dr briscoe says is when you when you use a phrase like death with dignity where a person who exercises their autonomy to say you know what i've had enough i don't want to live anymore that that death is dignified means that everybody else who doesn't make that decision is going to live or is going to die in an undignified manner exactly and exactly what dr briscoe the words that dr briscoe uses are this means that barring some fatal accident, we will all face seemingly undignified frailty and dependence in our dying. And that's so true, right? Which is when you say that death or a dignified death is when you make the decision to die, implies that any other kind of death isn't dignified. And that I think is an excellent point, something I didn't think about. And to go back to what, what you said about, you know, the, the beautiful line that Dr. Briscoe wrote, about um you know the means of loving 
the line before that as well, which is um, an extract from something that Gilbert Mylander, Mylander, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Um, an extract from what they wrote is in um, Dr. Briscoe's paper. And the last line of that extract is just so, so beautiful for me. I think it's one of the most beautiful lines that I've read. And I think that I will always remember this. Um, and I'm just going to read that out. But then, mystery and continuous miracle that it is, she loves me. And because she does, I must, of course, be a burden to her. And yeah, dude, that really to... got me as well. Yeah. <laughs> right? Just just the idea of love being as beautiful as it is, encompassing the burdens of human dependence that come with it. We don't love someone when they can, when they're fully autonomous. Yeah, yeah. We love them in all their, in all their glory. And that glory involves, you know, bodily misgivings. We can't always be as, uh, you know, physically strong as we were. We aren't always going to be as active as we are in, in our 30s. We're obviously going to have to depend on someone. And that, that's what love is as well. And I love, I love that so much. Uh, so beautifully written. And um, yeah, sorry, just before you go that... on, I think uh, a similar quote, uh, a similar quote that uh, touches upon similar themes is the changes wrought by serious illness can be isolating, painful and terrible. We want a rush to help. In our rushing, however, we must not trample the person in the attempt to embrace the principle of autonomy. <laughs> If you're not convinced by just the the soundness of what Dr. Briscoe is saying, you like you're gonna be convinced by just the beauty of the metaphor and the beauty of how well it's written. It's so incredible. And like about that, about that idea of trampling someone in, in your own idea of what should be done, I think this other bit that I that I thought was something that I think was almost a revelation to me, something that I had truly never thought of before, which is when Dr. Briscoe is talking about, you know, cultural ideas of a life worth living or more, more specifically, uh, Dr. Briscoe says that when, when you argue that everybody should have a choice about whether our life is worth living and back in back i think at the beginning of the episode i said that i thought that um we should have a choice in determining what or not a choice rather but when we make claims about a life worth living we're making it ourselves uh, i defended that position and what dr briscoe says is that when proponents of physician assisted suicide argue that each of us should be able to decide whether our life is worth living that isn't a decision others make for you. But most people don't wake up making a conscious evaluation of whether their life is worth living. They just live assuming that it is. At least until they are invited same. to consider otherwise. Same. I had the same I thing had... highlighted, yeah. Right? I, like, I've never thought about that. It's just baffling. Yeah, in fact, I was having this this very conversation just yesterday uh, with my ethics professor from university and we were talking about uh, suicide and we were talking about um, 
well yeah we were talking about suicide and the conversation sort of naturally progressed towards uh the morality of it and the morality of prevention of suicide and things like that and she ended up mentioning that we um must always inherently assume that life is worth living because not because that is say deontologically the case but simply because the consequences of assuming otherwise are disastrous by assuming that life is not inherently worth living we've seen where uh the world has gone we've seen the massive the massively genocidal consequences that not assuming so has had i just found that a little interesting i'd never really thought of it that way and this article also sort of highlights that most people don't you know make we don't consciously evaluate that our life is worth living we just assume that it is and it seems like assuming that that is the case is the healthy assumption to make right yeah with that said i just want to move on to a couple of other things that caught my eye um tickled my brain i don't know why i used that phrase but you know i was remembering tickle my funny bone so tick tickle my brain you know whatever okay <laughs> you, you know you know for some for some strange reason i imagine like a mr meeseeks from uh, rick and morty oh, or some other absurd character just mr. entering your brain so annoying it's so yeah. annoying <laughs> i for some reason i have this strange image of them physically tickling your brain it's so wow. it's it's yeah it's i bet it's evocative it's Okay, pathetic works also. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Let's go with <laughs> yeah, pathetic. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah let's, let's not talk about a bucket. <laughs> okay. Right. So, um yeah, what I was saying was Briscoe later goes on to describe how aging is viewed as a story of losing vitality, control and dignity. But I think they're missing an important nuance here. It isn't aging that's viewed like that. Uh, I don't think um I don't think it's aging this viewed like that but rather disease and the decomposition that comes with aging. Now to clarify I do think that aging is generally seen negatively but I don't think it's because of aging itself. I think it's because of the fear of I guess losing control, the fear of disease, the fear of decomposition, sort of breaking down and things like that, right? And that's just a little uh uh a little conflict i guess a little thing that i a little issue that i had with the paper which was it, it tries to it, it tries to propose um it tries to propose a future where we can approach discussions about withdrawing or withholding medication without viewing death itself as a means of relieving suffering and yet um generalizes aging itself as a as a negatively viewed experience which is something that i disagree with but i guess that's also a, a fairly minor point in the larger larger theme of the paper i see i see what you mean um and even though i think that i see where dr brisco is coming from in in that you associate people with kind of losing control as they age and vitality of course and i mean i see all of that right like you you begin to notice like those things in 
in older people because they begin to become more dependent um so part of me like sees where dr briscoe is coming from with the with that idea of aging but i also but i also agree with like what you said about it kind of lacking or, or not or not painting the whole picture of what aging is but that's kind of where i also had a question not there exactly but the idea of aging and you know dignity um which is do you think that dignity is universal because what i i think dr brisco quotes daniel sulmasi who says the essence of human dignity is nothing more or less than the esteem and honor human beings deserve simply because they are human and since it is not subjective no one is capable of deciding idiosyncratically that his or her own life has no more dignity and that i don't know if i fully agree with and before i share what you know what i think about dignity being objective what do you think about what uh, daniel solmasi says i think i'm inclined to agree uh but i'd like to alter that a little bit uh, i'd like to i'd like to read out daniel solmasi's quote by by altering it slightly right so the essence of dignity is nothing more or less than the esteem and honor living beings deserve simply because they are alive and i would like to bring in um i would like to bring in something that we brought up in an earlier episode uh i think it was either uh, Marianne Warren or Daniel Dombrowski who said oh yeah it was it was Warren actually moral patience yeah uh the ability to feel pain comes automatically with an ability to have dignity or rather not the ability but rather the the, the condition of dignity comes automatically with the condition of the ability to feel pain that's a that's a great like change i think it's a it's a it's it's a change that i think i'm fully behind like i fully back it but the reason i have or i'm struggling here is because i can i can see why um you know human dignity is not subjective in that just by the virtue of being someone who is alive or, or just by by living and i'm going to stick to the change that you made i think that although that is sort of like a baseline i feel like humans do and i feel like have a right to create greater uh, or not greater but more layers of what it means to be dignified to them and here i'm thinking of my grandmother specifically right she worked as a nurse in the army and today uh when she's fine she doesn't take any help from anyone she wants to do everything on her own because she thinks that that is what a dignified person does even when she was sick she um was she hated the idea of having to depend on someone else to to have to change her um 
you know, diaper because she couldn't control her bowel movements. She hated that idea because to her that was demeaning. It wasn't, it wasn't dignified of a human being. And I don't, I feel like taking that idea of dignity away from her or that, or that esteem or honor, I feel like, and I'm thinking about this from my perspective, which is, I would be fine with that. I would, I don't live my life as strongly or as strictly as she does because she's had a different upbringing and her idea of dignity is unique to her. So I get a base, you know, objective dignity of human beings, but our own personal, you know, um, and, and our own personal liberty to build on that idea of, of dignity. Um, which is why I was like, not convinced entirely by this. Yeah, so I agree with you. That's totally, totally with you on that. And I, I believe that there is, you know, a base sort of level, but I think, I think that's where, um, what's the name? Daniel? Daniel, 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 yeah, Daniel Sulmasi. That's where Daniel Sulmasi is also coming from. I don't think that it's particularly uh, an argument about, um, like the argument that Sulmasi is making seems to suggest that a person does not have the right to define their own dignity. Uh, and I think to a certain level, well, yeah, by virtue of being human, one has dignity, but I also think that you are right. I think both of your arguments are compatible because I think the fact that we have the ability to define what is dignified to us and what is not dignified to us is also okay. Uh, the, the point, the, the larger point, I think, which sort of ties both of your, both of your uh, beliefs about dignity together is the fact that the autonomy that you have does not, the autonomy or the dignity that you have does not give you the right to impose it on somebody else's autonomy or dignity. And that's where I think Daniel's uh, sort of line of reasoning comes in, which is that all humans have dignity, but that does not mean that my dignity can ever be uh, greater than somebody else's or, or lesser than somebody else's it's 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 all these individual pockets of dignity that interact but are no greater or lesser than each other you know like look at it like look at it like gender it's what you define it to be but i suppose um all people are assigned a gender at birth uh it's it's like it's like if you're living in a society you can choose not to have a gender but the fact is that by default, people are assigned genders. I see. I see what you mean. Um, I, I suppose what I had to say and what uh, Daniel Sulmasi said is compatible. And um, what you said, I think, allowed me to, or is allowing because <laughs> I'm still processing it, um, is allowing me to, to see that. Yeah. And... You know, on that note, I just want to wrap wrap up this conversation, but also tie it all together because we've said a lot of things. And I want to look at where we started and where we are now. And to do that, I just want to bring up something that has been mentioned in the New York Times article 
it's it's uh, it's a little extract um, from what Dr. Lin has said, Joanne Lin, whom we mentioned earlier. We should resist medical aid in dying until we can offer a real choice of a well-supported, meaningful and comfortable existence to people who would have chosen a medically assisted death. There's currently no strong push for decency in long-term care. It's not a real choice if a person's alternative is living in misery or impoverishing the family. Now, if that isn't true, I don't know what is. Like the goal is not to talk endlessly pedantically about, oh, is it moral if if somebody chooses medically assisted death? Is it moral if somebody commits suicide? That's not the point. The point is how do we make the material conditions, whether it be of pain, whether it be of money, of a patient less worrisome or less distressing so that they may choose um, choose in in a state of comfort whether they require medically assisted death or not and in my opinion that's the most dignified thing to do both for the patient and for the people caring for the patient for this whole system you know i fully agree like when i read this paragraph i realized that dr lin has pretty much summed up what i think the both of us both of us agree and it also makes me think about um you know what you said it makes me think about the lives of people around the country and around the world right now. Like think of older people who feel that they're a burden uh, on their family, on their children, on their grandchildren, a lot of all, all of those things. They think that and then feel not just physical pain, but also mental pain. And then there's also financial strain that comes from long-term living. And I don't have the statistics for that, but we have old age homes we have old old care homes we have all of those because they they're trying to fill the need for uh you know in in dr lin's words a well supported meaningful and comfortable existence because that doesn't exist right now and you know just to reiterate what you said shrish our conversations about you know the layers behind um the Uh, the the layers behind medically assisted death and uh what it means to make that decision won't won't mean anything at all if we're not able to provide people the room to experience comfort and care that will allow them to make a decision uh about their living and they wouldn't have to live in um what is but they wouldn't have to go through what is protracted death uh, a phrase that dr brisco uses in their paper and just to finish off what i have to say it kind of uh, this paragraph and what dr lin says kind of reminds me of what you said about um pain and suffering which is if we address uh you know um a dignified life and of and we we um address everything surrounding cultural understanding of autonomy what if somebody going through extreme physical and mental pain still chooses to or still desires a medically assisted death and i think that then the conversation would be a lot easier when we've given people the room to to make that choice with comfort and care that they need so i think that what dr lin says is something that we all should really think about
and it's something that we all need yeah absolutely and that will, that can also be extended to just not just cases of medically assisted suicide but suicide in general right if medically assisted suicide is acceptable uh in in today's situation then why is it not acceptable to um allow somebody just simply allow somebody to commit suicide as long as it's painless right and a lot of us would feel that it's just unacceptable that the right thing to do would be to talk them out of it so similarly even in cases of medically assisted suicide the 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 goal is to provide the conditions is to provide conditions where the patient is not suffering either mentally or physically um you know similar to suicide where emotional care is 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 the goal so yeah i i think that's the biggest takeaway from both of these articles which which although initially uh seem contradictory um they really aren't they're more complementary so i see them as you know two articles that broaden broaden my way of thinking a little more so i liked it i had fun it's a good episode yeah and uh like you said this is these two articles have well the article and the paper have been so exciting and have been so refreshing uh because it's given me room to consider um things that i hadn't before and it's there's there's a lot that i have to take away from uh the, what no the, there's the, <laughs> there's yeah, a lot there's lot you have to take to, away from this yeah from this thank you there's yeah there's a lot that i have to take away uh, and there's a lot that i have to to think about and i love that and i'm glad that i got to talk about this um and and talk about something that is so personal to the both of us and is probably personal to a lot of you listening as well um because this conversation i don't think will become irrelevant anytime soon um might just become more relevant um in the coming years and on that note i want to say thank you for listening this has been we might be tables and we hope to see you on the next one or see you we hope you hear us i, I don't know we hope to see you actually you know what yeah we hope to see you goodbye <laughs>